fucking Jean-Claude Van Damme makes a whiskey. <laughs> well, you like your celebrity whiskeys, mate, so you can talk about that. Sure, it's going to be kick-ass. Oh, nice. Put that in there. Jean-Claude Van Dram. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Not Another Whiskey Podcast. I am your host, Nicholas Palaki, joined as always by the beautiful Mr. Mitch Bouchard. Mitch, say hello. Yo, yo, yo. How's hello. it going, man? Well, we have a cracking episode coming up ahead of us. We're going to be joined, of course, by Brendan a little bit later, uh, which is exciting news. But um, we also just wanted to spend a little bit of time just now going through some of the news and some of the fun and exciting things that have been happening across the whiskey industry before uh, Brendan McCarran joins us for his weekly uh, stampede into our show. Right, Mitch? It's like weekly. I mean, this is like the third time we've had this guy on the show now. Honestly, no. you keep these... It's like a bad smell that won't go away, mate. He's the other Daz that just keeps coming back. <laughs> right. <laughs> we should just have them as co-hosts, man. Hey, before we get into that, what you've been up to since uh, we haven't had a proper chat, I don't think, since uh, since New York, mate. What's been happening? Travel, mate. As always, travel. But thankfully, I have... Oh, have I been in Las Vegas since I last spoke to you? I think I probably have been. You probably have, because you're there every, every second day. I was in Las Vegas, then I came back from it. Now, I think we did some other stuff. I was, uh, last week I was in San Antonio and uh, that was amazing. So I don't know if you've ever been down there to San Antonio. They do like a river walk thing, which is cool if you go down to like where the Alamo is, kind of starts all around there and then you can kind of come up the river. Uh, up the to car rental place. Yeah, the car rental place. That's it. Yeah, people go there to see all the old cars of America. It's <laughs> phenomenal. So yeah, people line up. That's why people say never forget the Alamo because the cars are so impressive. It's good, mate. It's good. I'm glad you're Alamo. hanging out in car rental places. So it's nice. Yeah, that's that's the life that I've now become. I, I think the big question is: Are you missing me after I left New York? I am. I will be honest. It's it's different doing it like this. Like um, you know, having not seen you for seven years and then having you in my house, I was like, wow. Now I know why I've not seen you in seven years. So that was fun. <laughs> fun for the reminder. <laughs> no, all joking aside, it was brilliant to, to see you and Joe and uh, to catch up properly. But yeah, what about yourself? What have you been up to? Uh, well, I mean, as soon as I left you, I um, jumped off the plane in Edinburgh and then um, hosted a load of folks around uh, around Scotland. I mean, that was, that was a big one. We did it was six days and I think we hit 10 distilleries, which was pretty cool. A couple of new distilleries that I'd never been to. So went round uh, Craig Gellicky, which I've never done before, and also Knock Do, which, as you know, so interesting fact for you, and I'm sure a lot of uh, listeners know this already, but Knock Do changed its name to a knock. Do you remember that when it it came out? And the reason for that was Diageo didn't like it because it sounded too much like Knock and Do. So they're like, can you just change your name so people don't get confused? But people still get confused, apparently, because people going to visit Nokandu still rock up to Nokdu, um, which I can't imagine has happened for a while because nokandu has been shut for a while, uh, probably like four or five years now. Yep. I don't know what's happening there. If anyone from Diageo knows, give me a shout. Oh, I also went to um, Dal Yun for the first time, which was kind of cool considering, as you know, my house was built for the excise officer uh, of Dal Yun. So it was kind of cool walking literally down a hill to visit a distillery. That distillery is massive, man. There's yeah. so much room in it. It's unbelievable. 
You been drink? Do you ever drink any Italian? Uh, no, I don't. Not in the right. I have tasted, but I've not. It's not something. I don't even have a bottle of it by me. I took a week kind of look over the shoulder, but I've seen you've picked up a few bottles in the past. I think that you were. Yeah, you know, could you? Well, I mean, it's my tradition now, right? Because the house has the connection to Dal Yu, and I have to have it in the house. And if someone comes here for the first time, that's the drama I always give them straight off yeah. the bat because it's like, well, you know, this house was built it's for the distillery, so you need to 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 drink that liquid. But yeah. tell me about that. Um, I gave you a wee bottle as a as a little present. Did you? Uh, you got stuck into that yet? It's gone. It's, it's sharp. No, no, it's still cracked. I've got about. I took about a third out of it. The Glen Scotia. Yeah. Killer, really great nice, right? so, yeah. yeah, that was a, that was that little ten year old duty free exclusive that you picked up. Yeah, it was it? I can't remember. It was a cast strength? I think it was cast strength, right? Yeah, it was fifty five point three percent ABV. Fifty five point three. I don't usually drink a lot of cast strength whiskey, and to be fair, I took one sip of this and I put water straight into it because I just I'm just not that person that likes cast strength whiskey, so I like to bring it down. But it's fun to see it come down in stages, so I did kind of drop drop feed it down. Um, yeah, a yeah. little bit probably probably brought it down to about 46 or 47 by the time give or take that's my guesstimate of what i was probably drinking it at but man it's delicious that's a great mm. great the quality of the liquid is spectacular right oh, it's so good i mean we need to get those guys back on the show again because since last time we were on which i think is about a year and a half ago they've been doing so much interest and stuff uh ian McAllister, a great distillery manager as well a uh, really good chat and uh you know yeah, I just a big big fan, big fan. Oh, I also had all the lads round. So Joe and Kobe went away, and we had a lads' night round at the house. Yep. Quite a lot of whiskey was consumed um, during that night. I'm, I'm not. What did the lie. lads consist of? Uh, so Neil Strachan, who's the distillery manager, oh sorry, uh, distillery ambassador for Brown Foreman, yep. and then Tom Jolly, who uh, yep. looks after runs McCallum. He's the F&B guy up there. And then my other good friend, Colin Corson, who runs um, a guest house just up the road, uh, right by Cardu Distillery. So a lot of whiskey boys. So it was a case of bringing out a load of bottles, bringing around a load of bottles. Had some very interesting drams nice. and uh, an interesting hangover the next day. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what happens when you mix your ambassadors together, mate. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> right, let's get on with the news, mate. Um, you know, there's been as as we record this, we've got a little bit of lag. We're not going to lie because we've got a few episodes lined up right now. Um, so this kind of new news is maybe a little bit old news to some people. Uh, so we'll apologise for that in advance. But hopefully, some of you guys haven't heard about this. First thing I want to kick off with is the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. Um, two things going on with them. The first one is they've released a forty-year-old. And the second thing is that they held, they now hold the record, the Guinness record for the biggest online whiskey tasting uh, that ever happened, which is kind of cool. But um, yeah, this 40 year old, mate, um, it's it's kind of cool. It's it, it relates to the age of the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. So this 40 year old was laid down in 1983, same year that the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society was launched. Uh, it's going to be. Uh, how many bottles are we looking here again? 130 bottles. It's not going to be cheap, mate. It's going to be three grand a pop. But I love this bottle, the the design of it. So there's no label on it. All the information is etched on the glass. And what they've done here is they've they've dipped this in a green wax, almost like a maker's mark uh, style uh, closing to it. 
uh, but instead of red wax, it's green wax, and it takes up about uh, you know about a quarter of the, the bottle. So it looks kind of cool. Uh, really, you know, I mean, I don't know about you, man, but I, I love the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. I love going around there. They produce some really interesting bottles, and you know, congratulations to those guys for been going 40 years now which is pretty incredible well on to my least favorite subject mitch celebrity whiskeys it's your most favorite subject dude so this one i'll try and read with a straight face jean-claude <laughs> van damme has launched an irish whiskey so hollywood actor jean-claude van damme co-founded an irish whiskey brand called old oak named after oak leaf county in Derry, northern ireland now this is a guy, obviously, who's made a lot of, of very, very famous movies, a lot of mixed martial art movies and things like that. He, His quotes, he was initially hoping to release a bourbon, but a chance meeting with a friend persuaded him to turn his attention to the Emerald Isle and put his name to the spirit from Northern Ireland instead. So, all right, I guess that's a thing now. Uh, yep, so why don't you go back to the roots of, of finding an Irish whiskey is what he was told. Except those are not his roots. He's not from Ireland. Has absolutely no connection to Ireland, other than the fact that someone from Ireland went, "Hey, we need to sell a lot of this whiskey, and now we need a celebrity to do it." That's my honest take on this because there is nothing that Jean Claude Van Damme has to do with Ireland or Irish whiskey, or even having a passion for Irish whiskey. He said in his press release he wanted to launch a bourbon. It could have been anything. He could have said, "I wanted to launch a tequila." But somebody came to me first through my agent and said, here's an Irish whiskey. So I have no intention of trying to promote this bottle of shit. It's a three-year-old at 35 quid. Pick it up if you're a Jean-Claude Van Damme fan. If you're not, walk past it and go and find a better whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. It's, um, do you know I what? mean, um, you think um, about the last celebrity uh, bottling that we did, right? That we talked about on the show, I should say. And I think that was Rod Stewart. And it was almost the same kind of line, right? You'd think these guys would get their press releases together and put at least a bit of passion and, and a bit of homework into what they're talking about. I think, I think Rod Stewart was the same, right? He's like, Oh, I actually drink apple teenies. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> or I don't really ridiculous. like whiskey, but this one's <laughs> different because if I put apple teeny stuff in it and I can choke it down, same for this. I'm sorry, but th there comes a point where we need to start calling bullshit. This is bullshit. Like, it's produced in a craft craft distillery, not named near Belfast, so not even in Derry. Like, like, what are we talking about? All the stuff it was named after something in Derry, but like, it just every single part of it, I'm like, I don't know. It, to and me, the, it, it makes it makes no sense to have a celebrity come on who clearly doesn't know what they're talking about, and then run their mouth, and it won't be long until said celebrity does something that's not in line with whatever the brand wants to do and then all of a sudden they need to backpedal and stuff but this is clearly just it's become like a recipe and it's a recipe for celebrities that i'm like okay cool you're a celebrity you're famous for your acting and your talent and your your skill set and people know you now what are you going to do not start a, not a music school or a talent school or try and pass on your skill set to someone else. I'm going to align with something that I have no idea about, but hopefully my agents will monetize it. And hopefully there's a, there's a company out there desperate enough to want to move enough of the liquid and not have the skill set or talent enough to go and build a brand. They're just going to align with a celebrity first. Cause that's a quick and easy way to try and put something out into the market. I'm sick of talking about them that most of them as well are mediocre. 
Most of them, I've, I've yet to try one that I'm like, holy shit, this is brilliant. The only one that I've had so far that I thought this is actually pretty good was Fletcher Azul, which was not, it's not even Mark Wahlberg's tequila brand, which is what he said when, when I saw him, which was, this isn't my tequila brand. I'm not walking around saying this is my tequila. This is a great tequila. And they asked me for investment and I invested into them. So he put three and a half million of his own money behind the brand to get them to the next stage. He wasn't like, give me 80% equity and you can put my name in the bottle. I'd love to see the deal that was structured with Jean-Claude Van Damme and Irish whiskey. Like, So you guys might notice that Nicholas always does the celebrity whiskey news and it's brilliant. I, I, I do that for a reason. You see how wound up he gets. It's like just winding him up and fucking <laughs> you know, letting like an him asshole. go here. <laughs> but to be fair, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I'm with you 100%. I'm with you. I wanted the bourbon, but uh, there wasn't the bourbon there. So uh, now I'm doing Irish whiskey. All right. Fucking. All right. Cool. Was that as Donald Trump done a whiskey? What what was that? Donald Trump doesn't do whiskey. No, but that impersonation. That wasn't. That was just a, that was a no name idiot just talking about. Yeah. That was like, how do you conversations? I imagine how they go. I'll tell you the, the thing that annoys me most about this whiskey with JCVD. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Why did they not call it Jean-Claude Van Dram? I know. The most right? obvious thing. That's fucking... So, <laughs> this just reeks of a poor marketing exercise. And I actually feel sorry for the people that are going to be behind it. Don't drink it. I actually, like, I'm going to start saying, every time I start seeing a celebrity brand, that I'm like, this has got nothing to do with this person other than somebody trying to hawk a celebrity brand. I'm just going to call it balls and strikes. Don't drink it. You know, you know Jean Claude Van Damme's pretty hard, right? He might come around your door. Used to be. He's about share. 148 years old right now. Reckon he could still kick fuck out of you though. I know, but he needs to catch me first. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, very good. Right, let's get off JCVD and talk about some more serious news. Uh, so, uh, not another whiskey podcast is sponsoring a massive event over here in Scotland, which is pretty exciting. So we've just launched a whiskey event with that small company called Copper Cairn. You guys might have heard of. We've talked about it a few times on the show. So we've decided to do this event called Whiskey Talks, which is going to be based in Aberdeen. And essentially, it's going to be like TED Talks for whiskey. It's going to be super punchy, half a day. Uh, we've got a great venue over in, in, in Aberdeen. And uh, yeah, the podcast is going to be a sponsor of it. So if you're listening to this right now, go on the Copper Cairn website. This is a blatant plug, Nicholas. I'm not going to apologize for it. Uh, but go on the Copper Cairn website. Go RSVP if you're going to be in Aberdeen around about the no- uh, 14th of November. Right now, we're sitting at about 60 RSVPs. So that's as we record this. Hopefully, it will be sold out by the time this episode goes out. Um, but yeah, I'd love to see you along there. We're gonna, we've are gonna we got some great guests, including our friend Daz. Uh, Charlotte Coyle from Ben Riek is going to be along. Neil Strachan, who I just mentioned earlier, is going to pop in along with uh, Tom from McAllen. Uh, my partner in crime at Copper Cairn is going to be there, Fraser Campbell. The both of us are going to be co-hosting this whole day, which is going to be a series of talks, including um, the likes of future trends within whiskey. We're talking about tourism within whiskey, and um, we're going to have a whole piece on what it means to be an ambassador, where we're going to pour some drams for everyone. It's going to be a great day. Absolutely. Make sure you're a part of that, guys. So on to other amazing things and other great days. Obviously, the Distillers 1 of 1 has come and gone. Mitch and I 
obviously brought on Daz to come and chat away when we were speaking about some of the stuff that they were doing with Bowmore and spe- specifically uh, the Bowmore stack bottling, which was a 55-year-old that they were putting into this auction. This was a fantastic 39-lot sale auction, all for an amazing charitable cause. There was about 200 guests from around the globe that turned up to attend this spectacular event on the 5th of October, and it raised an outstanding $2.248 million. Yeah, $2.248 million. It was $2,715,815, which puts a combined total over the 2021 and 2023 Distillers One of One auctions have raised a combined total of four point two million pounds for charity so this really is a phenomenal amount of money and a really really worthy cause as well and um, mitch some of the things that really stepped out here obviously the, the bowmore stack i know we had a bet on this so we did Do you I remember what we I said lost. did daz win or did you win i think i can't remember mate we need to go back in that episode and see what we all said we should have done that before uh, <laughs> recording this well, i think well, let's say i won I, I think I you think, did. You th- I think you came closest. Like it was, it was uh, a staggering amount of money. So they broke the record for the most expensive uh, Brora uh, as well, and was one of the most impressive bottles. And then our friend uh, Deval Gandhi also sold a uh, candle blank for forty five thousand pounds, which is fantastic. And again, like I mean, th- this is changing lives in Scotland uh, for the youth projects in Scotland, and I just think it's fantastic. Mitch, can yeah. you remember what the Bowmore sold for? I think it was like uh, 450, something like yeah. that. I, I, I think you put your guess at like 2 trillion 685 million pounds or something like that. Yeah, because the, the person that got closest had to buy you and Daz a beer. And I was like, well, in that case, <laughs> maybe in seven years, mate. Do you know what I mean? Maybe in seven well, years. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. unbelievable to see that. So look, at that's that's every second year. So it'll be interesting to see that. Well, next year, uh, next two years, mate, need to get your ass over here. Well, actually go along and maybe you know the podcast will be that that popular that we'll be able to put a bid in who knows who knows indeed i mean that i'd love to the, did you see the brora iris bottle the 50 yeah. year old stunning 1972 i mean it's just an absolute you guys you should go on this the sotheby's have still a lot of these on the they've got a digital catalog of these like the glenn grant bottling is really beautiful piece of work the brora specifically and the i mean the bowmore stack these are these are absolute works of art like the 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 packaging team behind some of these is just stunning, and uh, they should all be really I mean, proud of the amount of effort work that goes into this because I know how difficult it is to put something like this together, having worked on the McAllen side of things for a while. I mean, this is these are it's breathtaking. It's like you've seen this for the first time, right now, Nicholas. No, it's, they're just really really nice. Like I, I I was just going back over it, like I was looking at the. The Sotheby's website on it, and it's even the way that they've set, set it up. It's just it's nice to scroll through them all, like yeah, yeah. Roth, this nineteen seventy and dining experience. They've got a Glenfarclas fifty five year old single cask uh, bottlings. It's just really the the amount of brands that stepped up: uh, Tomatin, Gordon and McPhail, Little Mill, uh, Brooklady casks, and things like that. Like it's just it's really it's, it's cool to see the industry just do something that's purely selfless and it's got such great benefit to to the community it was interesting to see the actual bidding as well because a lot of that was put on social media yep. it was kind of cool to see you know the the 
the people in the room versus the people on the telephone and everyone's reactions as yep. things were going up. You could see the little pockets as well of, you know, that brand's table or the representatives from that brand as it was sold and it was going up and people getting excited from that corner of the room. So really cool to see that. But yeah, amazing result and, and great to see that all going to charity. And was that and, you just every now and again skipping in, holding up your paddle to try and raise the, the roof on some different things? Yeah, I, I wasn't there, mate. I wasn't there. I know Daz was, <laughs> but I wasn't there. Daz was Daz was there in his, uh, his Aston Martin Bowmore. There you go. Um, Nothing Bowmore. says raising money for charity than turning up in a million-dollar motor car, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but anyway, on to other news. Um I just got an email through, and I I, I forwarded this this um, just yesterday. I think it was. It was from the Ardbeg committee. So looks like there's a new Ardbeg about to to drop with, uh, which is called the Ardbeg Anamorphic. Uh, so we don't really know much of this as we talk about it right now. But He's from the, the, the video, director. anamorphic. No, <laughs> <laughs> very good. But again, one of uh, Dr. Bill's crazy releases, he's talking that it's uh, creating this 4D whiskey. Uh, there's a really cool video on a, a YouTube video that we'll link in the bottom of here. But basically what they've done is they've they've scored the, the barrel ends uh, and really heavily charred them to get, I'm assuming, even more of the, the cask coming through. But not a lot of information on that right now, but kind of cool to see that. Uh, we're still in, in conversations with Dr. Bill about getting him on the show, so. Hopefully that will happen very soon. I think he's ignoring the phone calls, Mitch. I think I think he, we've done he, far he too answered much the phone call. <laughs> Nicholas, he answered the phone call, and you will do an impersonation right now of how he answered the phone call. Hello, Mitch. How are you? <laughs> That's not how he sounds. That's <laughs> no, the worst part about this impression. It's not even a good impression. I know. Well, Q. On on that note, why don't we get Brendan on to do an impression? We speaking of our, our in-house uh, caricature stroke impressionist, Brendan McCarran is just about to join us on this little interview we're going to screen now. He will break some news. He's left the still, which was a shock to us, um, based on all the amount of amazing work that he's done there. But we kind of let him explain why. To some degree, he's got a few things that are going on that are a little bit hidden that he can't quite get into the full depths of. But it was a pleasure, as always, to touch base with Brendan, to talk about whiskey, to talk about the future of what he sees in the whiskey industry and some of the exciting things that he's been up to. So roll on, Brendan. Here he is. Give it up. Woo! Gentlemen. Hold Again. for applause. Hold for applause. Are you going to do the applause? Oh, wait. Can, we, is we there an applause? applause? I think it? so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on. No, there's, not, there's a meow. No. There Let's you go. Hold on. for me, Al. <laughs> was surprised. Do surprised. Wow. Oh, ah, it's actually surprised. Can that's... you actually, can you hear that, Brendan? Nope, not a thing. It's not uh, a thing. You're in. Just an hour end. Well, for for our recording purposes, we've got some pretty cool. <laughs> there you go. We're getting... just... Dude, so great to have you back, man. And yeah. You now hold the record for the most uh, most amount of guest appearances on the show. Brendan, you've actually been in this show more than I have. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's impressive. So thanks. Thanks for having me back as a guest on your show, the Brendan McCarran, Not Another Whiskey podcast. Well, it's great. It's great to be back. And trust me, this is the last time you used to speak. I'm just going to speak now for about 60 minutes about Fine. me. Fine. No. <laughs> so, mate, what's been happening? It's a, it's a Sunday right now. Um, it's, I don't know what time. 
yeah, basically, I've been I've been very busy. I, I missed out in the whiskey show. I was meant to go to the whiskey show in London uh, this weekend, which I was super excited about because, well, basically, I love the whiskey exchange and Don Davies in particular, who's amazing. But I had to pull out. I had to pull out at the last minute. So I've actually just been up the road uh, this weekend. But yeah, everything's been good. Life's been busy. Well, mate, there's some big updates going on, right? Um, we had a yeah. WhatsApp message which you surprised me with, and hence the reason you're on the show. So last time we chatted, you were at Distel as their master blender, head of production, big cheese, and that's yes. no longer the case. Yeah, so I think I was officially master distiller, but yeah, I kind of looked after distillation, uh, maturation, sort of whiskey strategy, if you like. I had a... a, a that didn't look after it, but I had a, a, an input on that and whiskey making. Yeah. And I was there for just over two years, two years, two months, two years, three months. And um, yeah, in May, I think it was May, May or June, around about my birthday, uh, I made the decision. I had a couple of random conversations with a few very amazing random people. And I realized I, I've always wanted to eventually. You know See, for a minute there, Brendan, sorry to interrupt you. I thought you were going to say I had a couple of whiskeys and I just thought, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, a couple of conversations I'm like that oh, that went a different direction for my brain man. I just thought I had a couple of whiskeys. I thought fuck this don't want to go to work tomorrow I've done that many times since I ended up married and... <laughs> uh, uh, she says oh, the same thing to be fair oh gosh every day since then she goes fuck it what have I done <laughs> it's so hard to get rid of them how do you keep finding these way home but no um, I've always thought about being a, a whiskey consultant um, I have been you know privileged I guess is the word to, to get lots of experience and work with lots of incredible people and learn yeah i'm going to say I, I know an awful lot about how whiskey is made yeah um, which is great um and i realized that in my job much love to distill i had a great two and a bit years there but there was a bit where i was kind of like i am um, i am given an awful lot here and not really getting a lot back you know and i'm i'm honestly improving this improving that improving this improving that and, and there was quite a lot of people who are starting distilleries or have had distilleries for, let's say, less than 10 years who were saying, what do you think of distillery? Do you want to come up and have a look? And I was going in there and saying, it's amazing. It's fantastic. Have you thought about doing this or doing this or doing this? And quite a few of them, which is a massive compliment. Like, generally, and I know this is going to come across as I'm being arrogant and being an arse and stuff, but a lot of them are saying, could you come and work for us? And I had to say to them, well, no, I, I can't. It's a conflict of interest. I, I work for a whiskey company. I can't. I says, well, I gave you that stuff for free. So just crack on with that. Just try that and try this. But loads of them just kept coming back. I got offered a couple of non-executive director roles, which sounds amazing. And ladies and gentlemen of the podcast, what that means, non-executive director, just means you don't get paid. But it does sound very fancy. Or you get paid a Both Mitch amount. and I are non-executive directors of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We know exactly what it means. Non-executive directors. But, exactly. Um, but no, eventually, it's actually, there's the, the, the guy, David, uh, I won't say his second name because I, I didn't get, I, I should have checked before the podcast if I could uh, say who he was. But I sat on a flight back from Myla, as you do, and I, I think there could be a book written by someone, a coffee table book called Flights Back from Myla, where you just sit next to random 
you hear some of the most incredible chat that you've ever heard and pick up some of the most amazing bits of news and gossip and and various other things. But I said to this guy, David, and he said, what is he doing? You know, I was like, working in the whiskey industry, master distiller for distill. What are you doing? He said, oh, I'm actually doing a bit of work for distillery X. You know, I'm, I'm being a bit vague here. I have to be. Um, and he was chatting away and he said, oh, what's the long-term plan? He says, that's amazing. Like, your, your, your job's clearly going great. And I was like, oh, thanks very much. It sounds like you're doing pretty well, you know, consulting here and there and there. I says, I actually really want to be a whiskey consultant once upon a time. You know, eventually, uh, I says, but, you know, I'm 40, I was 42 at the time. I'm now 43. Uh, I look like I'm 73, but I'm 43. And <laughs> I was sort of talking to him and I went, yeah, I think probably like, he says, well, when are you think about starting? And I was like, probably 10 years time, somewhat, 10 years, that would be the time to do it. And he's like, can I just say everything you've described, what your plan, what you want to do, how you would play this business out, it's all correct. The one thing you've got wrong is the age. He's like, you're actually the right age right now. He says, right now is the time you should be doing this because you've got the connections, the experience, the knowledge yeah. and the energy. He says, now's the time you do it. And then I came home and I still remember my wife just sort of looking at us like, she's clearly going, what's going on? Like, there's something going on. Like, there's something... She's like, I can see the back of your head moving. That you're clearly, <laughs> and then we started talking about it, and it took a couple of months. And then I went, you know what? I'm going to do this. And I think it was around about January, February that, that I decided. And then, of course, I I just waited to the the right time. The stale has now become CVH, and they have, I'm sure they have big plans for what they want to do. But I, I kind of, you know, had a conversation with them, saying I've given you two very good years and. I think I've left the place in a way better place than I found it. And I think it's now time to say to them what best of luck can crack on. But also, I'm going to head off and do my own thing. And yeah. here I am. So when you were talking about Distillery X, is that an insight because Elon Musk is building a distillery in Scotland? And this is you, tell, <laughs> you break the news? Well, that's it. <laughs> Elon and I go way back, you know. <laughs> now that's great news, mate. Congratulations on all that. That's a big, uh, a big step for you to take. So, I mean, I suppose when you look at this whole part of what you're doing, and you know, we chat about all these new distilleries that are coming online all the time. The ones that we just literally recorded an episode where we talked about new releases within new distilleries. So mm-hmm. how are you how are you going around and, and what's the business model for Brendan McCarran Limited? Is it looking at distilleries that exist already? Are you getting offers from people that are about to open distilleries or is it a mixture of both? Yeah, it, it, it's a mixture of um, all of those things, basically. So probably when I set out, I thought I can go and work for a couple of distilleries that I know that are just switched on so let's say switched on within the last five years and i know for a fact that i mean i I would love to build my own distillery and run it because i know that i can do it from start to finish i've been a master distiller i've been a master blender i've done every single uh, malt star i've done every step of making whiskey so i would love to build my own distillery but i know for a fact that the, the the primary challenge of it is to have enough money it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money to build it still, and it's a lot of money to commit it to the future to build it. So what tends to happen, and this is not a criticism whatsoever, is people think about, can we get enough money together first? Then they get the distillery built, 
And I always love analogies. I think whiskey and fine dining really, the analogies like play off really well. It's almost like building the finest kitchen, the kitchen capable of delivering three star Michelin meals and not thinking quite about the menu until opening night. So there's a lot of people who start up the distillery and they just suddenly go, right, okay, we've managed to secure some barley. I've uh, managed to secure this. Managed to... Right, let's go. And they're not quite sure what to do. And of course they'll figure it out. They're, they're very bright people and they're, they're very entrepreneurial and they've, 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 they've built a distillery. But I'm actually quite handy to come in just every so often, you know, a day, a week for some people, a day a month for some other people. There's other people who are there a day every three months. And you just come in, you just sort of do a little bit of, um, it's not quite auditing. You just look at it and you say, well, I think this that you're doing is great. I would think about trying this. Do you want me to teach your staff? Do you want me to train yeah. people? Or do you it's want like me a health just... check. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. kind of like uh, the, the best thing, again, back to cooking. But And I mean this in a respectful way. So imagine every so often he goes to a restaurant that's really good, but he's got some ideas for how they can be better. And it's like Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares, which is like my favourite TV show ever. But the, the British one, rather than the American one, which is kind of a wee bit hyped up and over the top, but he would go in and you just sort of say, like, you're, you're, you're overcharging for this, or you're not doing this quite right, or see if you just ran this a little bit differently, it'd be way easier to do. And with distilleries, I've, I've just, it, it's kind of like I've got some of the answers, because I work for Diageo, I work for Moat Hennessy, I work for Distel. I have access to knowledge about, what's that, 40 distilleries that I've ran, and I can just sort of say to them, this thing that you're doing, I would just get rid of that straight away. This thing you're doing, I think it works, but why don't you try this or try this? And then just slowly, it's about helping distilleries improve their quality or make more if they can. It's about, and then the other thing is they'll say stuff like, oh, we need to get a hold of casks. We're, we're trying to get some sherry casks for a special release or wine casks or this. And I'm like, I know someone you can speak to, speak to this person, speak to that person. So you just become a bit of like a, just an advisor, and it's, it's it's I must say it's it's really really nice. I, I loved being the big cheese as you introduced me at the start, and being in charge and being able to just direct people and try and do this and do that. But it is also pretty cool. You go into like places that are new, and they're not struggling, but but they really need to know what they want to do, and it's quite cool to be able to sort of say, look, this is what I would do. I would do this, 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 and this, and whether you do. All four of those things, three, two, one, or zero of them, that's your choice. But but this is what I would do. And just off you go. And it, it's pretty cool. You get some people who will take on everything you say, maybe even a wee bit too much. So you actually need to then call them back and go, listen, you're, you're, you're just actually doing everything I say. That's not right. I'm just trying to offer it. And you get other people who will take, you know, just one of your things and work with it. But just over time, you just go back and forwards, check in, see how things are going. And that's one part of the model. And then the other part is uh, I'm designing a couple of distilleries because uh, once upon a time when I was fresh-faced, young, hairy, and didn't require glasses, um, I designed a distillery for Diageo called Rosile. So I worked on the design of that. I am a chemical engineer to to trade. So I also do a little bit of distillery design now as well. So there's a couple of distilleries that are just drawings on a piece of paper. And I'm, I'm honoured to be brought on as like a, a technical flavor sensory advisor to design uh, what these distilleries want to create. So, so you're like the Tiger Woods of the drinking world, then, aren't you? Like you've well, moved from 
from well, making maybe. from playing the game to to designing the courses. Oh <laughs> no. I, I, I really hope my wife doesn't chase me up the driveway with a seven iron because she's a pretty <laughs> <good> golf. <so>. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go back to that Gordon's Ramsay thing though. I'd, I'd like to see that as a, as a series. I'd watch that. You just going into distilleries, just tearing them apart, and you know. Yeah. See that that would be cool, but but genuinely, the only I think you last I'm... one distillery before you get your head smashed in. To be fair, <laughs> like... it's raw. It's raw. Yeah. I just want spirit. Um, but <laughs> most of the places I go to, what they are doing stuff great. It's just sometimes you're like, uh, you're leaving that vessel for thirty minutes with the hot water in it. Why are you doing that? And and it is it's, it's the answer we always hear, isn't it? Well, that's what we've always done. And then that's a bit where you go, ah. So when I was at Diageo, frankly, we we, we did experiments across twenty distilleries. We found that you don't need to leave that hot water in there. Move it out, and then you can do this. You can do that. And then suddenly, hey, presto, they can make 10% more spirit or they can tighten up the quality or they don't impact this or they don't impact that. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's, it's a very cool way to do it. But it is about being, try to be a helper and an advisor, not someone who's coming in and giving people instructions saying, you must do this. I think if you start doing and that. Are we, are we talking about Scotland here or all around the world? So initially, it was Scotland, and Scotland's been great to me. I must say, like, I'm looking about for some wood because I cannot believe quite how well um, the business has kicked on. Because because it is you have you have a minor, in fact, a major panic attack when you step out on your own. Because I've got a kid, I've got a mortgage, I've got you know a very patient wife, but even the most patient. And wife you've got another world. family in Egypt as well, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> All those business trips. Like, come on. <laughs> so sorry, we'll edit that like, out. <laughs> no, we won't. <laughs> how on earth? How, how is this all going to work? But the, the the work in Scotland, it's been really cool. I must say, like the work in Scotland has just came streaming in. It's been great. A lot of people just like I said, like I want to have a word. And um, there, there's people like, God, I'm probably going to start calling out people's names without. I shouldn't have. Like Doctor Bill Lumsden recommended me to some people. Richard Forsyth Jr. recommended me to some people. Um, Alan Associates, which is a very famous whiskey designer, chemical engineering company, started recommending me to some people. Um, some of the, uh, some other people who I can't, I, I, I know I can't say, just came to us and said, look, we need you to come and work for us. So it, it genuinely became like a Scotch whiskey advisory business really quickly. But I am now working in Ireland, Japan, China, um and America, so it's going fairly international. Nice, mate. Very cool. So does that mean some trips over to the US to visit Nicholas here? Hopefully. So I was I was going to be coming, I was going to be coming to New York uh, late October, but it's been not cancelled. It's been postponed. So, yeah. but I will. I'm when I'm there. Know when you're here. Oh yeah, I'll take you for a dram, mate. I'll take you for a dram. But because I'm a consultant, I'll, I'll buy the Things drinks. Like you're doing better than I am. You can pay. Don't forget, I'm a consultant, so I'll buy the drinks, but I'll then invoice you. You know. So I see you got a wee whiskey there, Brendan. What, what are you drinking? So I'm actually drinking um, some Hazelburn. So it's a fill your own Hazelburn. Um, a guy at a distillery I work at, which I am not allowed to mention legally, unfortunately. Uh, is a big whiskey fan as well. He's a great guy. So I will try and work out a way to get him on this 
uh, podcast because he is like fantastic new new blood new new talent coming into the yep. the industry. Um, him and his partner went up to uh, went down to I should say Campbelltown just for a trip, and he he sent me a text message going. Do you want to buy any of these whiskies or go halfers on any of these whiskies? And I was like, and he sent like a list. It's a shame because he actually typed out really neat and stuff like that. And I was like, all of them, <laughs> all of them. <laughs> as much as you can fit in the car. Take, I will, take my money. I, I will buy all of it. So it's a it's a fourteen year old Hazelburn and Oloroso, um, just a only available at the distillery, and it's yeah, as you'd expect. Nice good, good Sunday dram. So. Mm. Brendan, I think you're in a good position now to answer this question. Um, state of the Scotch whiskey industry with regards to distilleries. And then I want to take that a little bit further and, and, and talk about it sort of worldwide. What's your what's your opinion on that? Yeah. Okay. Um, let's start with Scotland then. Um, I think the state of Scotch whiskey is, and, you know, I am a, avid user of Reddit Scotch, our Scotch, and it's, it's it's a dangerous place to have an opinion. But I, I think the quality of Scotch whiskey has never been better. I really believe that. I think the people say, oh, but there's this whiskey I had from the 1980s that sat in its bottle for 15 years and it's just this unbelievable thing. I'm like, that's true. But but think about the context. Think about what Think about your state of mind when you're going to drink in that and hmm. think about how much love and care went into making that. And then think about the people who made that have learned, progressed, developed and understood more things than they ever have. So I think quality-wise, I think Scotch is in an amazing place, an absolutely amazing place. On the other side, there's lots of new distilleries opening, which is fantastic, but I really hope it's not too many and, I, and I, I hope that some of them I'm not talking about anyone specifically but I hope no one's overstretched because it's going to be a challenge in a couple of years you know the, the, the price of barley is insane when I was a when I was a young man in the whiskey industry buying barley you'd be paying about 300 pounds for a ton of barley last year I paid a thousand pounds for tons of barley it's just insane insane number it's softening, but it's it's never going to go back to three hundred pounds for a ton of barley. Never. So prices are up. You, you know the same with your own homes. If you're getting an extension, or if you're just trying to heat your home, you know steel's up, copper's up, energy's up. It, it, it's an expensive game. So I think there's 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 a bit of caution. I hope the Scotch whiskey industry exercises. Don't want to be super bullish and just just go gung-ho and make as much as you possibly can. I don't think that's the time right now. But as I say, I think the quality is fantastic. I think the talent in the whiskey industry is phenomenal. Um, I do love the fact that the whiskey industry, and, and uh, okay, I'm, I may be opening myself up to a bit of criticism here, but I joined in 2006 and there was as many men as women joined in my graduate scheme when I went into Diageo and I found it quite a diverse place. Not as diverse as it should be, but I found it quite a diverse place. But I think the diversity in whiskey is increasing constantly. You know, I think there is way more inclusion of, um, you know, whatever sexuality, whatever identity you have, whichever, um, whichever gender you identify with, I think there is like way more openness in the whiskey industry. And I think I think that's essential because we can't just keep being 
dinosaurs, and I'm aware that I'm saying that as an old white man. So, but I think that's amazing. And then on the other side of that, I think sustainability is being taken seriously. Actually, there's a bit of greenwashing, and there will always be a bit of greenwashing. People try to claim they're, I don't know, what replanting a peat bog somewhere, and that's going to make a difference. It's not. But there is huge millions and tens of millions of pounds being spent by distillers to drive through technology and find ways to make distilleries even more sustainable, which I think is going to be enormous for the Scottish whisky industry. So it's, Colonel it's, Ricard released a blueprint on that, didn't they? And just gave it out to yeah. people. Yep. Which was yeah. we've spoken about in the show before as well. Mm. Is um really good to see. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's amazing, you know, and, and absolute kudos to Colonel Ricard, but it's also essential. You know, it's essential if, if Scotland was to be, you know, this very unsustainable style of whisky because it just stuck to traditions through thick and thin. It wouldn't take long before all the other whiskies were, you know, just massively more sustainable. And you would notice consumers would just move and go, right, we're done drinking your stuff. We love the way it tastes, but we will not drink this stuff. So it, it's kind of like essential as well as, but but definitely hats off to Chevis for doing it. I mean, on that point, Brendan, we've got, you know, we've got pretty sort of hefty targets here in Scotland for distilleries for, you know, Mm -hmm. sustainability wise, 2030. uh, I think it's carbon neutral for production, 2050 for everything. Do you think that's realistic as we move forward? I I think it's realistic. I think it's absolutely essential as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But the other thing is, you know, I'm a big believer in setting um, goals, not targets, but set a goal of zero you know for a fact that zero is not achievable, but if you aim for zero, you're going to miss, but you're going to miss by the tiniest amount. And that's better than aiming for, let's reduce by 10%, because we're mm. all human. If you need to reduce by 10%, you'll you reduce by 10% and then go, right, I'm, I'm done. What's next? So you might as well have lofty goals and really stretching ambitions. And if you land somewhere near it, it's going to be amazing. But basically, in Scotland, there has to be a combination of <clears throat> reducing down the amount of energy that's required to distill this amazing liquid that we make, as well as creating the energy we require uh, from greener sources. So it's not just one or the other. It's not just, yeah, we can burn hydrogen. That's super clear. That's what we'll do. Don't just burn hydrogen without ever looking at making your distilleries more efficient or requiring less energy just do the two things at the same time and eventually you'll you'll, you'll hit this kind of uh, lovely tipping point where suddenly it's just so much easier to do now the big challenge with that is there's lots of people who cling to things like i want floor maltings i want direct fired stills i want the old-fashioned low gravity way of doing this or doing that and there, there's a bit of that that goes like that's nice that you're saying that and I think it's a misplaced trust that that makes yeah. better whiskey. But it's, is that holding on to the romance of it? You think like the romantic yes. side of yes. Scotland and whiskey making? Yes, there is a massive bit where some people need to step away from the romance and slightly marketed story of what Scotch is versus this is how much energy it requires to make this amazing product, yeah. and you're going to have to unpick that a little bit. So I'm not, it's not a drive for efficiency. I don't want every whiskey to taste like vodka. I mean, Jesus, that'd be horrendous. But there is a, <laughs> a challenge of, yeah, you can say I love it this way and I love it that way, but but you have to think about 
what's what's the things that are making the the, the industry way more sustainable? Because the world, which is the other part of your question, Mitch, like world whiskey. So Japan has went through its transparency laws, you know, and they're now starting to build a lot of distilleries. And from what I've seen, I'm not an expert, but what they're building is incredible. And the raw materials coming in. I'm a huge fan of Tasmanian whiskey. I think yeah. some of the stuff they're doing in Tasmania is just, 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 just fantastic. I don't even uh, hyperbole it too much. Ireland is finally waking up from being, you know, three distilleries to actually having some variety, some diversity, some craft, and I, and I think that's going to be amazing. So, yeah, I I am a proud, proud, proud Scotsman, and I always want Scotch whiskey to remain the best whiskey on earth because it is the best whiskey on earth. Um, but it's we're going to have to pull up our collective socks because the competition is serious. They're doing some really amazing stuff. Yeah, I agree with that. And especially, you know, looking at things like Japan, where obviously mm-hmm. we've got our brand. Um, even for us, like there's some stuff that's going on there that you're like, this is really cool. Like currently the distillery that we, we work with in Niigata is 40% powered by solar. Mm-hmm. And we just bought a geothermal hot spring in Tusagawa and built on top of it. And the geothermal hot spring powers the entire secondary unit for distillation and everything. That yep. all the power sources just completely and utterly hmm. from you just using what's around to be smart about the yeah. energy sources. Yeah. It's 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 that combination of find nicer ways to create the heat you require for distillation. And and by its nature, you're always going to require heat. But then at the same time, work out ways to just be more responsible with the energy that you use, you know? Yeah. And yeah, they, they, those examples, like Japan, there's some stuff in America that I can't really talk about that I'm working on that is unreal. It's like Blade Runner stuff, you know, the way yeah. they're... And if this thing kicks on, it's, it, it's going to be incredible. And it's not about... And some people roll their eyes, and that's fine. Don't believe me if you don't want to. I don't care. It's not about saving money. This isn't... And a money-saving exercise. It's about saving carbon. It's about being more sustainable. It's about long-term success of a yeah. of a, a brand. Right, Brendan. So, scenario for you: someone comes to you and they say, "I've got unlimited budget for you to build your own distillery." How does that? What does that look like? Where is it? What do you do? Yeah. Okay. So, so this this is quite easy because this is just basically my my dream. So, so I'm I'm from. That's your dream, then. This is it. This is like you and Shark Tank, right? <laughs> Someone out there listening, right? So this so, is a dragon's den. So, so I'm I'm originally from Coatbridge, uh, which I right, I'm out. Sorry, is exactly. that what you're doing? <laughs> 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 uh, anyway, I'm out, like, I know it's I know it's quite an international crowd listening, but Coatbridge is, is not the bonniest town in Scotland and it's a bit of a mining village and stuff. But I live in Stirling and I actually I don't live in Stirling, I live in Cambus Barren. It's a Cambus Barren, this little village on the outskirts of Stirling, uh, where my wife is from. Um, <clears throat> I'm just motioning over my shoulder because I know my wife's in the next room and I've realised that this is an audio. standing behind you with a knife, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so, Canvas Barron had a distillery. Sounds similar to another one, but it was called Glen Murray. So, Glen Murray Distillery uh, was built in Canvas Barron. It was the second oldest distillery 
ever in Scotland. Licensed, licensed distillery. It went out of business, even though it ran for like a hundred years. It went out of business before somewhere like, say, Glenmorangie existed. So wow. in this village, and you you guys know, there's three Scots guys here chatting. Scotch whiskey isn't as loved in Scotland as it should be. You know, the, the, the knowledge is way bigger in America and China and everywhere else. But there's people who have lived in this village their entire life. No, I've never heard of this distillery. And I was like, there's a distillery. So we have no idea where it was in Campsburn. None. I have done some investigating as has a guy called Keith Law. So Keith Law used to work on Johnny Walker. He lives in my street. So I've got a master blender who lives 10 doors from me to the left. Uh, Ron Welsh, he used to be the master blender for Beam Centauri, just retired. He lives 10 doors from me that way. So I live in a tiny little street that's got three master blenders on it. And we <laughs> all are obsessed about this distillery, Glen Murray. So I, if I got the... the Wait a minute. Know, the is this one of these situations where you're not allowed to walk in the street at the same time? Because if, if, if there's a car accident, it would wipe out 40% of master blenders. And the, like, what's going on? Let me tell you, see, see during the COVID, when you were allowed to take your dog out for a walk once a day. So I'd go out for a walk with a dog um, and uh, just come out with whiskies and you just leave a couple of bottles of whiskey in Ron's door and I'd leave a couple of bottles of whiskey, sample bottles that we're getting one <laughs> yeah, of them yeah. out on key store and then i'd go away with the dog around here around here up up into the canvas barn forest and then back down and by the time i got back there'd be a couple of wee bottles of whiskey for keith and a couple of wee bottles of <laughs> old aston martins in particular for ron welsh Very and i guess nice. in three years now he's like do not tell anyone you have this do not <laughs> nice but, but yeah that, that that's 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 the distillery i would build i i I, I would love to build uh, uh, Glen Murray Distillery in Camus Barn and, and make Lowland whiskey. Like, I cannot wait to see what Rosebank do because that's exciting. I mean, that's mm. just really, really, really exciting. I've actually seen Lenny Russell outside the Worshipful Company of Distillers uh, dinner, and I think I was far too excited after a couple of glasses of red wine and a few whiskeys. I think I probably scared them into submission, but I just I just wanted to tell them how excited <laughs> that Rosebank was reopened and uh, I hope it's a success and I know it will be a success and stuff. And he was very polite and he said, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. But I think he was what, desperately clawing for a security guard or something to take away this specky <laughs> ball guy that was screaming in his face. <laughs> well, that's told, it then. So, him. If you've, if, so you've heard it here first then, folks. If you want to give us a call or reach out to us on Instagram or through <laughs> the website, we're doing a fundraiser. <laughs> We're going to see if we can we can raise the funds. We'll do it. We'll do a capital raise. Yeah. We'll see if we can put twenty million in a bank account, and uh, that'll a bit cover it, right? I would imagine well, twenty. So, so Camus Barn is is also called the home of Bruce's Well. So Bruce's Well, Robert the Bruce. So for the the, the non historians, but if you've seen the film Braveheart, Braveheart, the film about a Scottish person played by an Australian with blue paint blue paint on his face. But the final scene, you know, William Wallace is already somewhere else, no spoilers. And Robert the Bruce throws the, the, the sword. So it was the Battle of Bannockburn. Robert the Bruce was right where I am right now, where my house is pretty much. And there was a well and they drank out of this well and they drank the holy water. And then they carted lots of this water down to the battlefield and they blessed the field. Um, the well is gone. The place of it is there. But the well is gone. But they're pretty sure the cornerstone of the, the the biggest stone in the well was used as the cornerstone for Glen Murray and Camus Barn. 
Oh, wow. So just everything I read about this distillery, I'm just like, oh my god, this is like the, the dream distillery. The story the still grail. Yeah, yeah, it's literally the holy grail. <laughs> <laughs> right next to Deanston. I mean, it just writes itself. Yeah. Well, Brendan, we're gonna have to wrap this up here, but amazing to have you on the show. Again, yeah. thank you so much for your time. Um, brilliant to hear about what you're doing, man. All, all the best with that. I mean, it doesn't I was gonna say good luck, but I don't think you need it. Um, but what I want from you, we haven't done a, uh, you haven't done an impersonation yet. So I, I need one and you know, we had, we've had, who, who have you done so far? I think you did Bill Lumsden the last time, Alan Partridge. That's, we've had that. Was that I like, had a little taste of Trump earlier. I did. You said China. Earlier. Every so often <laughs> I do China, China, sleepy Joe. Um, where else have we done <laughs> Who was the other one? I, I did Dr. Bill. That that much is true, Mitch, and it's great to see you, Nicholas. Um, <laughs> Alan Partridge. Stop getting Bond wrong. But for this one, probably, <laughs> I'll finish with the original, and I've got the glasses for it as well, which is a coincidence, but over the years, the brandy and the cigars have started to take effect. It's dropped by an octave or two. She was only 16 years old. 16 years out. That is brilliant. Amazing, mate. Great Amazing. to see you, mate. Thanks for coming on. All right, Brandon. Take care, man. See you soon. You need to catch up for a drink. Yes, definitely. Come see us, boys. Cheers, see mate. Bye. Brilliant. Oh, Charlie, oh, properly. <laughs> He's like, I'm out. <laughs> He's like, peace out, bitches. All right, so... Amazing interview, as always, from our good friend, Brendan. Interesting to see what he's doing, mate. I mean, that's you kind of think that there's going to be a lot of business for him with the way the whiskey market is right now. Yeah, it's, it's he's basically just taking this whole championship of the gig economy that everybody's found himself in and being like, I'm going to go do that for whiskey now. Should we open up a distillery with him? That'd be cool. I think that would be not another, not another whiskey distillery. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Not Add another whiskey tour. Yeah. Mate, I, this is it. I'm going to put it out there already. So let, let's speak to Billy Walker. He knows how to raise money for distilleries. Right, Billy? We want a distillery. It's going to be called Not Another Whiskey Distillery. Uh, so go find us one. And then also Bren find us Brendan's going to baggins. design it for us. <laughs> Billy can run it. There we go. Easy. And we'll have uh, Brendan come in and, and consult, tell us all the things we're doing wrong every other exactly. week. He'd be, a, he'd be the busiest man in Scotland just doing that. <laughs> totally. All right. Well, Nicholas, let's wrap this up. As always, thank you to everyone for listening. We always appreciate it. We love you guys out there. Uh, enjoy your next dram, whatever it's going to be, and we'll see you next time. Indeed. Please make sure to hit that follow button on whatever you're listening and streaming this podcast on. We do appreciate every single last one of you. We'll speak to you soon. Bye. See you. Bye. Bye.